Meow. Welcome to the Cattoons podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Crowley. this podcast I'm going to talk about the stories behind my songs, the production tools that I've used, the production methods that I've employed, the instruments that I've played, the instruments that I've discovered, the arrangement methods that I've used, the real-life stories which precipitated the creation of my entire albums or of my separate tracks. So let's jump right into it, shall we? And uh, welcome you listening to the Catchins Podcast. Today's episode 92, and we're talking about the third track, and actually the second song from the When Painkillers Fail, T. Lilith Archives Volume 1 album. And this song is called Fuck the Glamour. This is gonna be an explicit episode just because of the just because of the lyrics, not because I wanna be explicit about it, not because I wanna be swearing or anything like that, but it's just inevitable because the lyrics are explicit and I don't want this uh, podcast to be flagged for nothing. So fuck the glamour. That's the name of the song. Uh, it was written back in uh, summer 2007, I think. I can't exactly pull from memory again because I don't have the original project files. I can't tell you when exactly was it written, but I do remember that it was written somewhere between May 2007 and um, late June, I think. I remember that I've written this song. I've had my exit exams, my graduation exams from the Music Academy. There was a lot of things going on in my life at the time, um, and uh, I was pretty revved up and pretty upset with a few things, and uh, apparently I was channeling all of that anger and all of that angst into music. So Fuck the Glamour is a song that has to do with uh, the rejection of a glamorous lifestyle. Um, that's something that I did not have at the time, but that was also something that I did not envy and that I did not um, that I did not aspire to have, I was not part of that life. I was not part of that societal strata, let's put it this way. I wasn't part of it. I didn't want to be part of it, but I kind of I just wanted to have a better life. Uh, apparently, I was, um, if not at the rock bottom, but I was struggling and I was surviving on my own. So it was a very difficult time. However, when I was looking at other people uh, at the time the way I felt about it was that uh, I felt a lot of fakeness uh, within uh, certain people who were pursuing a certain lifestyle they were pursuing the glitter and the glamour and the shiny uh, the shiny things but it's almost like they missed the entire point like they didn't have much purpose in life and um, maybe it has to do something with um, I mean objectively I think I was pretty biased at the time and I was pretty angry because my mom was dying of cancer and she died in um, early July that year 
So I was upset. I was tremendously upset, uh, and there was nothing that I could do. There was nothing that I could help her with. And it kind of drove me to think about a lot of things uh, about life in the first place. It drove me to think about the value of life and what really matters and what doesn't matter. My mom died when she was 51 years old. So, at the time I was thinking, like, how am I going to spend my life? What am I going to spend my life on? What is really important? Um, what is the value of time? And then, you know, I had my values and I had my aspirations and I had my dreams which I was determined to pursue in the following years, um, you know, regardless of, you know, rain or shine. But then I was looking at other people with whom I was graduating from the Music Academy, and it's not that I was necessarily pissed at those people, but I was just seeing other people coming from other backgrounds, having other circumstances. And some of them, I gotta tell you, were pretty damn privileged. You know, that I can tell you. And it's not that I was, I wasn't envious of them. I believed at the time, and I still do believe, that there is a certain advantage in um, having, or should I say, there is a certain advantage in not having everything panning out your way. I think, in, especially in retrospect, I think that that's not a bad thing at all. There is something to it, and um, I can't complain about my life in terms of that. You know, it was always adventurous. Uh, it had an enormous amount of ups and downs. There was all sorts of stories, all sorts of crazy stuff going on. Um, I can't complain about the adventurous aspects of it. It was always adventurous, and it was always um, entertaining, should I say. But anyways, at the time, I wasn't motivated by hatred towards the people you know, who had something that I did not have. Uh, to people who had families, who had the security um, in their background, in their uh, relationships, or in their environment that allowed them to actually not bother about certain things. I wasn't envious of them. But I was looking at people older than myself. I was looking at adults. And I was wondering, like, what actually happened? Like, why do these people, these concrete people, why are they so oblivious to so many things in the world? And why are they so fake? Why are they so consumed? Why are they so self-absorbed? Why are they so enamored with the stupid, glittery material stuff? And they don't see past through that. And I just didn't have friends like that. You know, I, you know, I have met all sorts of people and I had to interact with all sorts of people and I would never, um, I would never be offensive. I would never be, um, you know, even passive-aggressive, I, I didn't do that that kind of stuff. And I had to work with a lot of people, too. So it's like, this was my, this was something that I kept to myself, but I couldn't help but wonder, like, that person over there, 10 years older than me, uh, how is it so that that person is so enamored with something dumb? Like, how can one be so preoccupied with just a glittery new uh, phone or with a new car, and how can that person put those things over things like love, like uh, loyalty to family, like your loved ones, like 
you know what I mean, this kind of stuff. That was something that I never could relate to, I never could understand this. Uh, so it's not envy, it is just that I was looking at some people and I was wondering, like, what the heck is wrong with you? And how is it so that this glamorous, uh, glittery, sleek stuff, how is that more important to you than actual human interaction, than your loved ones, your friends, um, your parents, especially your parents, because I've met people, you know, maybe maybe it has to do that I was kind of super sensitive to stuff like this because I, I just lost my mom at the time. I was losing her and I was helpless. I couldn't help her. I couldn't save her. And I felt horrible about this. And then I had this, you know, period of time for the following couple of years when it was very difficult and I had to adjust to the new reality of, you know, living a life without my mom. Um... So, I, I do realize that, you know, my perception was skewed. I do realize that I was hypersensitive in a very particular sense. So, when I would see someone who had staggering levels of entitlement, who was um, consumeristic down to the bone, I was shocked. I was wondering, okay, when was the last time that you, good sir or ma'am, when was the last time that you checked on your mom or on your dad? Or on your grandma? When was the last time that you've interacted with your family? And how is it so that you need your family only when you need money from them or something along those lines? So you get the you get the drift. You get where um, where I'm going with this. So and I was as I was thinking about these things, I couldn't help but think about the broader society and about what causes what sucks people into these um um, should I say glamorous marshlands? Because it's kind of like a marshland, uh, a marsh of sorts when people get uh, into consuming um, material, dumb, pretty much, pretty often, very dumb, very material things. And uh, that somehow uh, becomes the filler, the main filler for their lives. I was disgusted with this on a very profound level. Uh, generally speaking, when I was looking at the broader society and I was, you know, examining certain types within that society. So, the song Fuck the Glamour is kind of a... Um, it's a rather wild, untamed, unfiltered, um, response, a very guttural, a very bitter, visceral response to the existence of things like this. It's not about a particular specific person. It's not about that I lost my mom and all of a sudden I my values have been evaluated once more and um, I started to feel much deeper the value of life and the, the uh, fluency of time. It's not just about that, it's maybe not even about that at all. It's about watching certain people uh, and getting angry with the force uh, of consumerism that takes over them, that in fact um, erodes them, that corrupts them, that eats up something, something very important uh, about them, that you know, especially when you are growing up with someone, you know that person that's your friend, that's your buddy or someone you, uh, you used to study with, and then you see the changes, and then you see that that person, that the values of that person, they have evolved in a different direction, and 
these valleys are pretty shallow. And you have this feeling like you've lost a friend, like you've lost someone with whom you used to breathe the same air. Or at least be in the same vicinity, kind of. That's, that's the kind of feeling. Um, and it's not that I necessarily wanted to be a rebel or something like that, no, I just... There were things that I felt were wrong, and uh, I was speaking up about those things through my music and through my songs at the time. And I wasn't naming any names, I wasn't even specifically singing or yelling or screaming about a particular person. There were certain people who just drove me nuts with their attitudes. And uh, while I will not wish uh, upon anybody anything, you know, any of my trials and tribulations, however, uh, it made me wonder uh, about these people, like, okay, you are not able to comprehend something, you're not able to truly evaluate um, how precious life is, your own life, by the way, and the life of your uh, loved ones and relatives. You don't know the value of, you know, people, you don't know the value of love and appreciation, you don't know those values, and you just throw it all away, you just dump it, and instead of that, you've built yourself a cult, basically a cult of strictly material crap, which doesn't mean jack squat, and you are consumed with it, it's like, it's almost like you have a leash on your neck, and someone uh, is dangling, is yanking that uh, chain on your neck, and you're just enslaved, to the stupid little shiny objects and that's just so dumb you know because your life goes on and that well, what's gonna become of you you know and then when you finally because it happens to everybody when you're at some point in life you're gonna experience loss or tragedy or something like that or some a shell shock event all of that little glittery world is gonna fall apart you're gonna be miserable you know so I was looking at that and I'm like no I don't want this I don't want to be this kind of person and I don't want any of this building up in me. You know, it's one thing to just aspire to live a decent life. That's one thing. It's another thing, and I think you do understand what I'm talking about, when a person has it in their mind that, you know, lots of money will make them happy, and it never happens. Of course it never happens. You know, it's a myth. Um, it doesn't happen. Or that that shiny object or this shiny object is going to make them happy, and it doesn't happen. Or these same people, by the way, they tend to treat other people like shiny objects. You know, think of all the men, for example, because there are indeed people like that. There are men like this who try, uh, who treat women, attractive women, like shiny objects. They just objectify them, they use them, and they don't care. There is no depth at all, nothing to that. And, um,. Same, of course, goes for women who, in the same way, just use uh, men whom they find attractive or whom they find a benefit. They use them like trinkets and then they throw them away. You know, it's this, but the roots, the origins of this consumeristic, um, cynical, uh, shallow, extremely shallow and self-centered attitude towards life and towards a lot of things in this life, that was something that was deeply upsetting me. That's why I wrote this song, Fuck the Glamour. And I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna quote the lyrics from this song, I'll just send you over to uh, Genius.com. This is a website where you can find plenty of lyrics, not only mine, um, but you can find all the lyrics to all of my published songs right there. Genius.com. 
com. Just look for Catherine Corelli over there and you will easily find uh, the album When Painkillers Fail and uh, the song Fuck the Glamour. Um, I'd like to hope that I've kind of generally outlined uh, the meaning of the song and some of the backstory. Yeah, 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 yeah. Again, huge influence from Slipknot and Korn and um, not so much Meshuggah. I wasn't listening, I wasn't listening to Meshuggah at the time. Um, a System of Down. System of Down, Slipknot, Korn, not that much Cold Chamber, something a little bit from Dream Theater, their heavier stuff. But again, Dream Theater is a totally different story. Um, some uh, punk rock, uh, slight punk rock influences. But generally speaking, I was just going all out on this album. When Pink Heroes Fail, I was just going all in and going all out. So that's why it is so wild. That's why you hear so much yelling, screaming, and it's unbridled, it's untamed, it's wild, it's visceral, it's guttural quite often. So uh, now let's move on to the next section. I'll try to outline some uh, music analysis, even though with this song specifically, it's even more difficult than with the previous, because uh, by ear, you know, discerning and um, figuring out what the heck is that riff over there and what the riff is, what the heck is the riff over here is almost impossible. There are parts that I can kind of emulate and kind of can discern and then there are others which I just don't know and uh, I wish, once again, I only wish that I had my um, original project file so that I could just look into the MIDI text and actually replicate that on piano, but I don't have it. So I will try my best and uh, we'll see where that goes. So let's move on to the next section, shall we? And here we go with the music analysis. So, uh, first and foremost, the, the key is A minor. I guess at the time when I was writing this song, I want to get the lowest possible key. And uh, back then, already, I used to write in drop A. Even though I was programming um, all the stems, I was programming the bass line and uh, electronic guitars because I didn't have a guitar and I, you know, apparently couldn't record a real guitar. So I was programming electronic guitars trying uh, to emulate the sound of real, gritty, really heavy guitars. So I had to distort them quite a bit and um, experiment a lot with various synthesizers, blend them together, save them as patches, and then throw in some more effects and that kind of stuff. Because I wanted to get that wall of sound. I wanted to get that thick, gritty wall of sound um, for, you know, for that album. Uh, so let's listen to the track. From the beginning, all the way from the beginning till the second hook, and um, then I'll give some commentary. All right. Fucking 
he's A minor, um, and um, I think I kind of deciphered some of it, uh, or at least approximated. I think a lot of it is going to be just an approximation. Sometimes the bass line is kind of more apparent and more obvious. Sometimes it is, I don't know where. Sometimes just from the uh, uh, melodic, more melodic vocal, I can tell what's going on there. Um, and sometimes you kind of get the feel of what the harmonic context is. But anyways, let's start from the beginning. So in the very beginning, uh, there is an intro, which is just lyrics that are being read. Again, you can go to genius.com, um, find this song there, and read for yourself. I'm not going to quote anything here. So then we're getting into the intro, where in fact the, uh, the hook theme is being introduced. And it kind of goes like this. I'll try to emulate. Something like this. Um, and this is kind of an intro that, you know, plays exactly two times. I'm not certain about that chromatic um, pass that goes down. I don't know if it's this with a little bit of syncopation. That's the baseline that I was able to uh, to extract, and um, it repeats one more time. And then after that, we're going to the bridge, which uh, something something along those lines. That bridge riff kind of prepares us to what's coming in the verse. Then there's the verse, and it is all tattered and torn. It is, um, I guess there are like eight pauses, um, eight rests uh, in between, so it's probably something like... Something like that. So this uh, verse riff is just more tattered and torn than the bridge riff, and that's the only difference. It kind of creates more um, of a dispersed kind of feel to what's going on in the groove. There is still plenty of um, plenty of uh, percussion going on, and there's a drum kit, and it's pretty intense, and it kind of intensifies over time. But the this wall of sound, uh, as far as bass and electric guitars, or synthetic guitars, should I rather say, it kind of um, it gets fractured, and that's the whole point because now you have the lyrics that are coming up to the front to the forefront, and um, I think that because I wasn't very skilled in sound engineering at the time, and because I did not record all this properly, the lyrics are barely discernible when they're barely audible. When you listen to this mix, when you listen to this song as it is released, you know, despite the modern 2018 mastering, despite all of that, so the vocals are friggin' buried. They're buried somewhere in the mix and the speed is tremendous. I was really pushing my limits at the time and I was trying to rap at, um, 
almost hypersonic speeds, basically. So it's very hard to tell what's going on there, and that's yet another reason why I want to recommend for you to check out these full lyrics on uh, Genius.com. And by the way, I apologize for my poor English at the time. I didn't have much practice, and it kind of it's written in a screwy fashion. But then again, I had my limitations because I had to squeeze in so much into very fast-paced lines. So um, the verse is tattered and torn for a reason, because I wanted to give a little bit more room for the lyrics. And then after that, we're going back to the bridge riff. Something like this. Now, uh, about that scale that I wanted to talk about. What is being used here? First of all, we are using Phrygian uh, minor. Phrygian A minor, whenever it is necessary. So there is a... There's an A, and then there's a B flat. Then there is a D flat, a C, a B flat, and an A. This is happening there for sure. Now, another thing that's happening is I love the sixth in a minor key. So of course I'm using the six. I don't know exactly what's going on there in the bass, which of these notes, but it is uh, for certain that that this is there, uh, at least in these riffs, uh, in the bridge riff and then in the verse riff. So then there's again the bridge riff and then after that we're going to the second verse and it's just a more intense version of whatever was introduced in the first one. And then there is the second part of the second verse is basically, I'm just you know trying to kind of summarize and I'm trying to um, explain without being very specific. What's happening there, uh, in my notes I wrote it down as uh, verse 2, part 2, torn riff, term, uh, torn riff with chromatic feeling. Feeling. Not feeling, but feeling. So, whatever was, whatever used to be, something like this now all of a sudden the rests between these notes they get filled with chromatic stuff so it becomes approximately something like this Something along these lines. I am probably lying because I can't exactly tell you what's there, but there is some added chromatic feeling that intensifies this riff and uh, preps the listener uh, to the second hook. Oh, no, 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 no. It preps the listener to the first hook. That's where we are. Because we've been always given, a, uh, we've been already given a certain level of intensity throughout the song since the beginning and the music of the hook was established in the intro and it is a melodic hook 
by contrast to everything that happens after that, all of that yelling and screaming and rapping and all of that kind of stuff is in stark contrast to the hook. It's probably the only part in the song where I actually do sing. So the second verse is being used as a bridgehead to prep the listener for the first hook. It's like, we're coming, we're almost there, we're almost there. And it gets kind of chromatic and it gets denser again. And then we're going into uh, the first hook. So I'm not going to play the exact riff in the left hand. That's approximately what's going on there. Again, here, uh, because there is a G sharp there in this riff, right? So there is a G sharp there, right? It indicates that we're actually in harmonic minor, harmonic A minor, even though the melody in the Uh, vocal actually uses it only as a passing note, but at the same time utilizes the uh, G natural. That's quite an interesting uh, juxtaposition going on here. So that's uh, the hook. Then, after this first hook, we're venturing to new ground again. That's kind of, it was pretty common in the structure of the songs that I was reading at the time, uh, that I was writing at the time. I was experimenting all over the place. So now we have another, um, another tattered and torn riff, but it's different from the verse riff. So now it's something different, but it kind of is in the same vein. Something along those lines. There is, There is a tritone that I could pick out with my ear, but as far as other stuff, God only knows. It's, it's very difficult to tell. So, uh, and there is some uh, straightforward uh, yelling and screaming on top of this riff as it builds up and it builds up and it builds up. And then after that, we're getting to the second hook, which is basically the same as the first hook, only it becomes a little bit more intense. And... Um, there is there is nothing new introduced here. It's the same same riff, same chord progression, and I I was trying to keep it the same without overcomplicating things, so that uh, the listener could enjoy an island of stability within a um, within an ever changing structure like this. So uh, let's listen from hook two 
or rather from after the hook two all the way to the end and then I will come. Okay, after the second hook, all of a sudden everything falls down uh, in terms of intensity, everything subsides, and we're starting with just one guitar, one electronic guitar, and probably a hat or something like this. Something, something along those lines. Again, this is a variation of the, like, a cumulative variation of the kind of riffs that we've already heard. So something, it, it borrows a little bit from the bridge riff in terms of motion and this, uh, this um, conjunction of, um, of A and B flat. Or maybe actually, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe it's just a bridge riff, but in a different context, and it kind of sounds a little different. But I believe that there is uh, that it has some changes to it. There's probably something to it, a couple of notes that are different from the bridge riff. But anyways, it repeats like four times or something along these lines. Um, it builds up and it builds up and it builds up, and there is some um, lyrics that are again being first kind of rapped and then they're being yelled and then they're being screamed in a guttural fashion over it then after that we're going into the uh like the highest point of this intensification um comes with the full return of the riff from the verse so now it is we're back to where the verse was only now it is all intense you have crash cymbals going on you have deeper bass, you have full-blown electronic guitars, all out, this kind of stuff. And there are the lyrics, welcome to the common breaking war. Uh, welcome to the brand new malice, welcome to the common breaking war. Uh, these are the lyrics that are being yelled. Welcome, welcome to the brand new malice, welcome to the common breaking war. This is what's going on there in the back. And then after that, immediately we're leaping again into the hook. This time it's the last hook and it's a double hook. So it is repeated twice. And of course, you know, the second paired 
hook, the last actual hook, is more intense, it is more dense, it is... Uh, there's more crash symbols. Usually I used to, at the time, I would switch to a different crash symbol or a China symbol, something like this, and I would add some more, some more synths to reinforce the riff. So... Um, Uh, we're going through those two hooks, and then in the end, we have uh, the bridge riff is reinforced. Uh, whatever was going on in the bridge. That stuff. And now it's kind of going full blast and riding, uh, riding off into the sunset. And it is being used as the outro. And there are some lyrics that are left over from different parts of the song which are being reiterated once again. And basically that's the entire music analysis. As I said, I wish I had the original projects in front of my eyes so I could just tell you what exact nitty-gritty is going on throughout the song. But I can't. And it's not a very melodic song at all. It's rather... Um, it's all very noisy, it's all very upbeat, extremely energetic, it's very dark and heavy, and because it is so heavy, and because there are so many things going on at the same time, it's very difficult to discern by ear what actual notes are being played. So, at least, at least, I hope that I've explained a few things about the hook. With that being said, let's move on to the next section, shall we? So as you can hear, uh, Fuck the Glamour is a pretty wild song. It's one of the wildest on this album. It was written a very long time ago. I believe if I was writing a song like this nowadays, I would have been... Um, I don't know, I probably would have done a better recording. I'd like to think that I would do a better recording because, you know, after all, I recorded my voice, I got better at certain things, I actually do play guitars nowadays, and I have the... Uh, ability uh, and the proper equipment to actually record guitar. So I think I would I would actually do it kind of in a different fashion, and I would probably try to play the drums myself. So perhaps some of that hyperbole that you hear in the program drums would probably subside and go away, even maybe. Um, to conclude this song, um, you know, looking back, I do realize that I was kind of angry about a lot of things and angsty, and uh, I do understand that, you know, at the time I was kind of very sensitive about certain things. I only hope that even songs like this, which are obviously brutal, I hope you still enjoy them, and I, I would hope that they would still hold 
the message and they would still hold some water even years later because after all it was usual I was trying to generalize the message and I was trying to um, not just make it a song about my pain and about my suffering about you know this and that no I was trying uh, I was trying to derive a more generalized message out of the song and out of my experience I was trying to put it all together and write a song that would resonate with other people because apparently it's not me alone who is upset about uh, certain people who are oblivious to the value of life and to the value of other people. There are other people who, you know, who can see it, who can feel it. Perhaps they, they perhaps others would articulate it in a different fashion, perhaps others would just have a uh, visceral reaction. Uh, others would probably write songs about it, you know, there's plenty of interesting songs uh, in heavy metal music. Um, and this was my way of going about it. So, in the end of the day, I only hope that you do enjoy this album. If you haven't heard this album yet, please uh, find it on any major streaming platform, be that Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, Amazon, uh, Deezer even, and uh, YouTube Music. Uh, any of those platforms. If you're gonna check me out on YouTube, I do have a couple of ongoing playlists which I'm supplementing with new videos all the time. One of them is Cat Talk, uh, where which actually doesn't have anything to do with music, so if you're not interested in my social commentary or political commentary, don't go there and don't listen to it. And another one is uh, called Cat Vibes, another ongoing playlist where I usually post uh, casual footage, uh, my recording sessions whenever I record guitars for whichever album uh, Sometimes I'm recording other instruments uh, and also um, This is coming soon. You will see me drawing and uh, uh, Doing my art projects so you have all sorts of footage there and generally speaking cat vibes is a lot more casual as compared to uh, Cat talk so I want to invite you to my youtube channel as well. Do not forget that I do have a merch store on Teespring, again, you can just look up, uh, Google it up, Catherine Corelli, uh, merch, Teespring, and you will find me easily. I, got, I just rolled out some new designs with a caracal, and um, there is an inscription that says, From Kentucky with Love. Uh, these are my t-shirts, actually. Uh, another place that I want to invite you to is my other business, which has to do with skin health and aromatherapy. Uh, visit the website southerncaracol.com. I'll try to put the link in the description. I don't know if it will pan out. I hope it will. In the past, a few months ago, when Anchor was rolling out some new changes, somehow, when I was putting links in the description, something was going wrong. And, um, but whenever I would take away the links and live just, you know, and leave just plain text, uh, everything would straighten itself out. So I don't know, there is some sort of glitch going on or something like that. So in the past episodes, I was forced to just spell out Southern, uh, from the word South, Caracal, C-A-R-A-C-A-L, dot com, and uh, I had to just spell it out that way. Check out our website anyways, find something for yourself. We've stocked up on new uh, lip balm uh, flavors. Uh, people love this. Uh, lip balms are just one buck. Um, and also, uh, pick something for yourself as far as shampoo bars, which are good for eczema, psoriasis, treating dandruff, uh, oily hair, or dry scalp, this kind of stuff. And also, oatmeal and honey soap bars, which is uh, the bulk of our uh, products uh, that has to do with oatmeal and honey soaps. For the most part, very good for your skin. 
uh, helps you if you do have eczema, psoriasis, uh, dry skin due to diabetes or just dry skin on the drier side of things. Now that it's getting a little colder and cooler and windier, um, things like our lotions, our line of lotions uh, comes in very handy. I personally use these lotions, I find them uh, amazing, uh, very deeply moisturizing, they don't leave a greasy feeling. So check out our website, southerncaracol.com, pick something for yourself with your friends and family, especially considering the uh, holiday season. And uh, with that being said, thank you very much for being here, thank you for listening to my podcast, thank you to those of you who are following me, thank you very much. If you find this podcast entertaining enough, share it with your friends or with someone you believe needs to hear this. And with that being said, thank you very much, I love you, and you will hear me on the next episode.